Hey, and welcome to Game Talk episode 34. I'm your host, Amid Mion. I'm joined by Connor. Hey, guys. Michael. We're only on 34. Yeah, we didn't record much while you were gone. And Tristan. Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, The first thing I want to talk about today are game economies. So a lot of video games, uh, MMOs in particular, uh, have thriving economies within them in which um, plot prices fluctuate due to supply and demand, much like our actual real world economy. And I just kind of wanted to float the idea of game economies out there and see, and maybe maybe just ask you guys which economies you guys have experience with and basically your thoughts on uh, game economies. Um, so I have experience sort of in like uh, GTA Online and sort of what that entails, but I've also been doing some reading into EVE Online and WoW, and then uh, I got some things here about Fallout 76 and Red Dead 2 we'll get to in a little bit, but sort of, um, there's like, there's a difference I'm seeing now between what is an MMO economy and what is essentially like a new AAA game online multiplayer sort of economy. Right, so isn't the, there's a delineation where you can there are systems where you can essentially pay real life money to get whatever in-game currency, right? And then there's other games where it's all in-game. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and I feel like I feel like a system where you can purchase currency, whatever that may be, and you know inflate inflate the value of that currency. It, it, it's kind of like an economy destroying thing. I wonder how those games kind of manage their economies. So I'm there's a currently there's apparently these World of Warcraft tokens. I've never played World of Warcraft myself, um, but apparently you can buy these tokens for real world money. Uh, a U.S. token costs about twenty dollars U.S. Um, and currently it's it looks like it's sitting about one hundred fifteen thousand three hundred fifty five gold for one of these tokens. OK, so what can you do with these tokens? So you trade them in and you get in game money. Oh, okay, okay. Can't you also um, okay, trade in-game money for the tokens and like pay your subscription with them? Can you? I think that I don't know if it was WoW, but there's a game where you can do that. I just I don't remember Eve which one you it could is. Do that. Yeah, might be Eve. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. So, uh, if you purchase them for gold, you can use you can use it to add thirty days to your uh, subscription. That's neat, but like how how what I don't understand is how how does the game account for like, how is the experience balanced for everyone in which, like, someone who has a lot of money to burn can just buy these things with impunity, whereas someone who really wants to, like, actually live the game and play it and grind out the money, like... Well, you know, the short you know answer is it's not balanced. It's not. Um, right. Because it's... There's actual inflation in these sort of MMO economies where... Who knows how much these tokens would have cost before? They could have cost maybe, like, 5,000, 10,000 gold. But the fact is that, like, with the way World of Warcraft and all these other MMOs work is that uh, the game system itself pumps more money in. So there's just more money available in the game causing stuff to inflate. And I know that World of Warcraft especially has had several issues where their economy has essentially hyperinflated um, and just everything in the game becomes uh, just insanely expensive. Right. MMOs have a lot of systems in place to try to stop that. Like a lot of things you might find annoying, like weapon yeah. durability and things where you have to like repair things or like 
maybe like a payment you have to pay to respawn or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But things like that have to be in the game because money has to be taken out of that economy to try to prevent hyperinflation like this. Because mm-hmm. like, but I feel like hyper hyperinflation is always the end state, though. Like, are, are there any examples of these measures being su- successfully implemented? So, inflation's a thing that's always going to happen, and it's actually pretty healthy for an economy to have some inflation. But the problem with these sort of game economies is that um, the systems themselves, when you start building them, they, it's not really designed to ever take money back out of the system in any right. way. It's just you're constantly pouring more and more in. Um, And I think World of Warcraft is probably one of those. uh, It's been going on so long that there's so many case studies where you can find it. Like they probably at some point, I'm not sure if I have a specific example or not. They had to implement something to rein this back in. So my question is. These these game economies they inflate. Let's take War- World of Warcraft for example. Yeah. You said you could buy one of those WoW tokens for however X amount of dollars, right? Like twenty bucks. Yeah, twenty bucks. Do you ever see a case in which the WoW economy inflates so much that one of those tokens, like suddenly just buying one of them for one hundred fifty k gold or whatever, is like nothing? So they increase the value of the token, thereby like increasing the price you have to pay. What I'm getting at is like, can real game inflation drive up the prices in, or it, can in-game inflation drive up the prices in the real world? I'm not entirely I certain on that. Um, think? I think these, I think these tokens are kind of fixed. But as far as like their in-game value is always fluctuating, I think that their real world oh, value okay. doesn't really fluctuate. But so they don't, okay, so for example, they don't always give out 150k, they kind of scale with what the economy is at. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Okay, that makes more sense. I I remember, like, my, I've only had really one, two-ish uh, experience with game economies. One was RuneScape, and I was too little when I played that to really even know what was going on. But the other one uh, was MapleStory, mm. and I just remembered, like, it was so interesting to me, like, just the day-to-day you know, free market, you know what I'm talking about, Connor? In yeah, which, I like, do. Yeah. Hundreds and thousands of players just stood there spamming and selling their things, and the little uh, portals that led to, like, player-owned shops in which they set their own prices, and you can peruse and buy items there. And It, it was so interesting, like, really, like, when I was really into it, I was really kind of attuned with the prices of various like common commodities like 60 percent scrolls do you remember that connor yeah i do yeah and like the the price of a 60 percent scroll kind of like dictated the price prices of everything else and so that was the milk of maple story yeah yeah Yeah. it was really it was really fun like like day to day the street value of that scroll would either increase or decrease and it it was a game in and of itself just trying to keep track of all these prices and trying to make a profit I mean, Warframe has a system similar to that where, you know, you can trade some items, mostly prime items, and I've made quite a bit of in-game currency just farming. Yeah. Mobby Nogi was an interesting case because um, there were a lot of items you had to get, like, to learn skills and stuff that would just be worth millions of gold. And, like, I, I wasn't playing the game right, I guess, as it were, because, like, you could only buy them from other players. And um, I played most of my time like doing missions and trying to like sell stuff to NPCs. And I eventually realized that like 
what the NPCs offered for something was basically nothing compared to what you could get for it, like by playing the market and stuff. Like, because the, the game, like the cost of things in the game hadn't really inflated with the player market side of things. So basically the game was unplayable if you were trying to like opt out of that side of the game. See, I don't like the idea of some, you said this item gave you some skills. Yes. So I don't know if I like that idea. I mean, your, your skills are part of your core gameplay. I don't think that should be locked behind like high prices, you know, especially with an inflating economy like that. It should be like, you know, experience combat based unlocking skills but that's right i mean it wasn't only attainable with money it was just a really rare drop and like you were far more likely to buy it from another player than you were to find it gotcha tristan were you gonna say something yeah um i was recently watching uh polygon's video series peacecraft just as an oh that's a great that's a great series. series um but what we're talking about here did bring something to mind where early on in like the series um the they had essentially like had early on they had like 10 copper and that was like nothing in in that game and they bought the ability to gather herbs and then once they reached the capital city they sold like one stack of those herbs for like a hundred thousand gold wow just an insane amount of gold that for a basic material like that where if they had gone to like any of the NPC traders, yeah, they would have gotten nothing, but sort of, like, with that money, they had enough to just sort of buy, like, a motorcycle and real armor from, uh, like, the game sto- uh, the game's uh, shops and stuff. And sort of, like, what I wanted to talk about, because uh, when we were talking about doing this uh, thing about MMO, or, like, MMO economies, I sort of wanted to talk about the differences I'm noticing between these ones we're talking about, you know, Eve, Maple Story, World of Warcraft. And I sort of wanted to bring up what I'm starting to see in like Fallout 76 and Red Dead 2. So I'm not really familiar with the economies in those games. Could you maybe give a little explanation for each one? Yeah, so... Or why they're particularly interesting, those economies. What, what I found interesting about them is like, there's still this sort of like currency you're trying to get... Um, to buy stuff in the game. Um, and it's sort of different. It's not really like a player driven at all. Um, for example, with fallout 76, it's all about like challenges to get the premium, uh, currency. So you can get, uh, the various, like, I think it's mostly like, what is it? It's like decorations and clothes and all that other sort of stuff. Um, so, but that premium currency, is it still, I mean, it, you don't use that to trade with other players, right? So, I mean, are there a finite amount of those uh, items in the game? Like those the, cosmetic items in the game? The I'm not understanding why it would mess up the economy. So what I was mostly seeing is like the grind for it. Because the grind between like what we've been talking about and the grind for what you would get in fallout or red dead redemption is completely sort of different here um like for you to get a stack of plants in world of warcraft and then get uh the currency is nothing to get like sort of like what everybody has been talking about online is like 
to get uh, a costume or to get like some upgrade. Yeah. Okay. So in the camp, there's some stuff you can buy, uh, or you can buy stuff for your camp. You can buy icons and emotes. Um, but mostly this camp thing is, I think, one of the things people were talking about is being able to buy stuff for your camp. Sort of like you can buy a generator and a purifier. Um, or maybe those are just like upgrades to what those look like. But it was mostly when I when I was doing this research, it was mostly about that grind for it. So the grind for it is one thing. But yeah, but is this system an economy? Like, will, I guess in will the, the price of that item fluctuate depending on how many people like buy it or whatever? It, or? When you put it like that, no, um, it is not sort of that economy. Um, it's not going to change. Um, and the only thing that really will sort of change is the amount of real world money you would have to put in to get everything. Yeah. So I think that's like an important actually, it's important that you brought that up because there's like a very important distinction between like an in game like e- economy system yeah and just like an in-game store in it yeah right? so i think this is kind of an example of the latter yeah um, this is because like there's no like form. yeah there's no like finite commodity of items there's no like trading between players right this is just stuff that you can buy you, yeah yeah wow. to 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 get stuff for your fallout 76 base or whatever right i think there are like some parallels there though because like you're, you mentioned Grand Theft Auto earlier, Tristan, and I'm yeah. not an active player, but like my understanding is that Rockstar has essentially intentionally inflated their market like absolutely out of control in order to help them sell this shark cards. Like, yeah. They just constantly keep making things more and more expensive. Yeah. Um, like Some cars that are kind of basic in the game cost more than... Ten, a hundred thousand dollars. Whereas, like, you can get like, there's this as they keep bringing out newer and newer stuff. It's constantly costing more than a million, ten million in-game dollars to get. And so that's not like there's no player trading there, right? Like it's no. all. Um, the only ways I can that there are to get money in GTA Online, it comes down to uh, playing events, doing the different businesses within the game and buying shark cards. Just to put the, the inflation in perspective, there was a golden airplane that was released for like 10 million. And that at one point was what everyone wanted it was really expensive and no one had it. Now that's nothing. There are sports cars that are more expensive than that plane. I guess that's sort of like, yeah, this is, I think what we're seeing now and uh, is, there's store economies that are getting out of, or there's like in-game stores where it's getting out of control and looking at it from like there are MMO economies that are like player driven. I'm starting, I'm wondering if there's something we can't learn from those MMO economies to apply to these sort of like game stores in some way to keep it in balance. But see, I don't, I don't think they want to keep it in balance. I, yeah. I, there's no incentive to, the one important difference I see between these economies, like, yeah, you mentioned that, like, it was once very expensive, but now, you know, the price has dropped drastically. Rockstar is controlling that price, right? Yeah. They initially set the price for that item, and then people bought it or whatever, correct? Right. The The cool thing about, like, Maple Story, for in- instance, 
the free market essentially was a free market. The price was strictly dictated by the player base without any controlling input from the developer. Like it was strictly driven by supply and demand and what item was like rare at the moment, you know, that sort of thing. And that's what I found really fascinating about that economy. Like that was truly like, (laughs) I feel like you could actually study that economy and like apply theory to that economy and get gain knowledge out of it. Oh yeah. A lot of MMO companies have like, on the Some payroll. MMOs could change yeah. their market flow by like reintroducing an item that's old. Like Warframe does this all the time, where they'll like release an ancient prime item, ancient prime for like a temporary time, cool. like a prime item that was vaulted and put out of. Rotation. So that'll drive prices down. Yeah, it'll drive prices down, and then that's very you know, smart. As soon as it comes back in or it goes back into the vault, the prices will start rising again. So even if you want to buy items, you just have to wait until it's unvaulted, and then suddenly everyone's getting parts again. It keeps that in constant supply. Yeah, so again, that's an example Mm. of the developer kind of manipulating the game economy, which I'm not saying is anything, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it's fascinating that there's like two different styles of game economy that we've kind of been talking about here. The only thing I wanted to bring up real quick was like, sort of how long, I guess, people have been saying it's going to take to get stuff in uh, Fallout 76 and Red Dead. Um, they is Running the math for Fallout 76, it's about 211 straight days of playing. Jeez. Jesus. That's absurd. Uh, to buy everything without buying the Atom cards. Uh, as for Red Dead, um, unless they... So you, this is like playtime versus actually just outright buying yep. it? Um, Well, the actual cost, uh, as of when I was doing this, which was in November, um, it would have cost about $240 to buy everything in the Atom Shop. And in Red Dead, the fastest you could get, or the fast, it took about nine hours to buy a pistol or 21 straight hours uh, for a rifle. Okay. So, yeah, it's basically the incentive is to buy it. You know, like they're expecting people who actually wanted to buy it. Which, I mean, hey, I guess is a sound business model. I'm just not too big of a fan of that. It works, but yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I feel like there's no reason to work. want all of it. Like, There isn't, but like, they're, what, what, what Rockstar and Bethesda are doing is like preying on that gamer mentality of wanting to have it all. Because so many gamers, like, you know, that's how they think. Right. And I just think that's going to be a dated way of thinking. Like, I think that's going to just have to go away. We shall see. All right. So the next topic on the agenda is uh, a pretty big one that happened, I want to say, a couple of months ago. It's just we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. It's the birth of the Epic Games Store. So if you haven't heard of this, uh, Epic Games, which you probably know of as the creators of Fortnite, uh, have announced that they're creating a digital store uh, in the same vein as Steam in which they will, you know, sell uh, sell video games. And the big wave caused by this announcement, first of all, it's the first direct competitor to Steam. So it's the first digital uh, distributor of PC games uh, that's, you know, pretty much going head-to-head with Steam. Why is Origin not going head-to-head with Steam? Yeah, Origin is just EA. Well, Origin has a more limited selection of games, does it not? I don't believe Origin is exclusively EA games. I think there are a few non-EA games on there. But I think this, I think the Epic Game Store is going to be 
comparable I, in size and scope to Steam. I think like, so that's too. That's why it's that's whereas Origin is just you know, I I believe it's just EA games and maybe a few others, but there there are someone, definitely someone non-EA correct games me on, on that. there, just not very many. Gotcha. Okay, but like um, my second point was that the um, the split between Epic and the game developers. So I think I believe it's eighty eight twelve. So eighty eight percent of the revenue generated on the Epic Game Store will go to the developers, and twelve percent will go to Epic for hosting their game on on their digital storefront. Whereas for Steam, the ratio was more like seventy thirty. So that's a pretty big incentive for developers to have their game on the Epic Game Store, and we're already seeing things like uh, quote unquote PC like storefront exclusives like. Metro Exodus announced that they're going to be available on the Epic Game Store first, it, like timed exclusivity, because, you know, like a lot of developers are, you know, now swearing their allegiance to the Epic Game Store. Obviously, Steam is not very happy about that. Valve is not very happy about that. And I just kind of wanted to bring up the Epic Game Store. Uh, it's creating a lot of waves in the industry, so kind of wanted to talk about it. I want to play... Uh devil's advocate for this and that the epic game store while it does have a functional storefront does not offer a lot of the things that steam offers right now and that's gonna come around and bite them very quickly right they don't have they don't have a lot of things like the community features the workshop they don't have a lot of that in place they don't have trading cards but what i think obviously they're not going to be as mature as steam right off the bat but what i think epic does have going for them is the fact that they're epic in 2019 Right, they I mean, have just look at the infinite way Fortnite money. has evolved. Not only that, like Fortnite generates them uncountable amounts of money, but look at the way Fortnite evolves so quickly, like almost week to week. Epic have shown that they're willing to adapt and change very quickly. So I think a, a lot of like publishers and uh, just small game developers with games that they're trying to sell see that value that Epic would be a good home for them. And it's not just the 88-12 split. If you're a developer working in Unreal, you don't have to pay the Unreal royalties on the Epic Store. Yes, that's another good point. So that's, Although, a, huge, but, that's a huge incentive to release there. But yeah, Ep- Epic's creating all of these incentives for games to move on there. And it seems like it's happening. Like It seems like every few days I read a story about like so-and-so is coming to the Epic Game Store. And, like, I think Metro Exodus was originally, like, already, like, set to release on Steam or whatever. And It was. They're honoring and pre-orders. Then Epic, yeah, and then after Epic Games, the uh, Epic Game Store announcement was made, like, they kind of just made a deal with them. There was a, there was a poll. It, um, was it GDC? It was something here recent. And only 6% of developers say that steam earns their 30 percent cut wow so that that means that 94 percent of developers think that they're paying too much and if that there's an alternative that has the audience they would take it yeah it's it's kind of a genius move by epic they saw this and you know swooped in and 88 percent that's that's significant yeah you know um and, and i think i don't know i think i see a lot of people online saying like that they don't want to install another um another storefront and I, I just don't think they get it because i feel like 
most people already have it installed because like who hasn't played Fortnite? honestly uh, yeah. yeah i have not they're, they're okay so let, let's just be clear their games launcher is just going to turn into their games storefront right and it already has it's basically just going to become steam and they're giving out free games right now and uh i want to make a point that's kind of interesting um i got some nautica on the epic Games store and i wasn't sure if i'd be able to but you can also use steam vr with the epic game store so like all the steam Ah. vr games still work wow yeah you just still have to have steam installed yeah and i imagine like near the beginning at least i imagine people will have both the epic game store and steam installed but you know five ten years down the line i can see a situation where you know pc gamers a large chunk of pc gamers only have the epic game store installed only use the epic game store just because i i don't doubt epic's ability in the slightest to really kind of take this market by storm like i feel like they know exactly what they're doing and they're going to give steam a run for their money and and they need it to like steam has a, a lot of excellent features but they really do take advantage of their monopoly more than they should right like they take forever to improve on things and they just let features die often and this is kind of an unrelated note but i love the fact that epic you know makes games too you know they make fortnite you know when's the last time valve has made a game like honestly artifact (laughs) see like valve is pretty much just synonymous with steam at this point and i don't like that i like the fact that someone who makes games is also providing a storefront but that's just like a personal thing that doesn't really have any kind of impact on anything i think i like the idea of an epic game store um I think it's going to need a lot of work, like we've been saying. Um, they got a lot to catch up on with, uh, as far as like getting people to come over to them versus Steam. Because I don't think we're going to have an issue with developers going to the Epic Game Store. I think we're going to have an issue with getting a consumer base on the Epic Game Store. Because, like you said, I mean, yeah, it's silly that people were. That's think a good the, point. The, the That's a good point. Of like, oh, I'm going to have another launcher, but that could be the thing that keeps people from going to the Epic game store is that they don't want to download another launcher that no, that's a great point. And you know, convenience is King really like people do what's most convenient. And I feel like everybody already has it though. Everybody's played Fortnite, but I think it's just, I think everyone like the consumer side of things. I think everyone there just needs to have a shift in mentality because it's not just going to be your Fortnite launcher anymore. It'll be that as well as a Steam, you know? Yeah. Right. And I think where this will maybe do more damage is, like, new PC gamers, right? Because, like, I can understand if you're already, like, part of Steam's ecosystem or whatever, you don't want to have, like, you might not want to have both. For whatever reason, I I don't know why, but, like, I could see that being an argument someone makes like, oh, I'm already on Steam. I don't want to be on an Epic Game Store. Unless Epic Game Store has, you know, exclusives or whatever that Steam doesn't have, which I could also see happening. Yeah, um, I'm trying to I'm just looking at the Epic Game Store website right now to try and figure out what's on here that would convince me I need to go here instead of Steam. Um, I mean, the Epic Game Store is the director of publishing strategy is actually the guy who used to run Steam to buy. Hmm. 
And again, it already has like the single best exclusive that you could possibly have in 2019, which is yeah. Fortnite. But can't you also launch Fortnite from? Oh no, you can't. You can't run, launch Fortnite from Steam. No, nah, the only way to run Fortnite is to have the Epic Game Store installed. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's more than that's more than Steam had when they started. Steam had Half Life too, and I would say it really is kind of incredible. Like Fortnite is kind of their Trojan horse, yeah. <laughs> to get in onto people's computers. Well, Steam did that with Half Life too, and people hated it. Mm-hmm. But then again, Steam was yeah, the but first I, to do but, that, right? And then again, Fortnite is a lot. I know Half Life Two was big, but Fortnite is a lot bigger. So much bigger. Yeah, everyone everyone has Fortnite, like. And there's no reason not to, because it's free. Like, it wouldn't surprise... Like, I wonder how far in advance Epic had this idea, you know? Like, obviously, like, bare minimum, it had to have been... The idea had to have been formed, like, a year or two ago, right? To set the wheels in motion to get where they are now. But I wonder if they had it, like, from the very... From when they saw Fortnite really, like, blowing up, they were like, okay, we can now do this to compete with I think most developers at this something point, to think about right like would have their own storefront on their website in some way most larger developers i think it was a matter of like getting to the scale like his epic other his epic before fortnite been able to have like such a su- like facing their consumers as much as they have with this to be able to say hey we're going to launch our own store. You should come here because it's way better. I'm sure they were selling stuff from... I mean, they had their own engine. Yeah. But in that, they had an engine, which is great for developers. I think this is the time that, like, they've really been in the eye of consumers where it's like, oh, hey, we have these huge games on our store. You should come here. Instead of, like, we have this awesome engine. You could, you should develop for it. Um and I think that's the thing is now they have um, the ability to go, hey, consumers, you can come to us and we got your games here. Um, and now they have a chance to take on Steam. I'm not sure how right. long they've been planning it. Um, probably a while because, uh, like you said, they, it's probably been within the last year or two. But I'm just wondering who's going to be next, sort of. Because there's other people who have like the ability. You can buy your game from them online. I'm just wondering who's going to be the next biggest thing that they can then sort of try and launch something like this. Well, right now I can't see anyone matching up to like Epic's ability to do yeah, something like right this. Now. But that's the that's the fascinating thing. Three four years ago, no one on the planet could have predicted the trajectory Epic yeah. took. Like this is like this is Epic is a total wild card in like gaming history really like they literally just they've been around forever but in the past couple years they came out of nowhere and just skyrocketed to the top and it's it's just fascinating seeing them essentially come from nowhere and just take over the industry like this and you know first it was Fortnite, and now it's this epic game store and it's it's fascinating and you know i'm very eagerly anticipating and watching their every move to see where they go next. Because they really are kind of like a wild card in my eyes. Yeah. I mean, like, they, they made so much money off of Fortnite that they back paid, like, they renegotiated the contract on the Unreal Engine and back paid, like, two years to developers. Because they just, like, didn't need the money, I guess. I know, it's it's insane. 
I mean, Fortnite, Fortnite makes hundreds of millions of dollars a month, you know, so. All right, guys, I got to go. It was a uh, good talking to y'all. Yep. All right. See you, Connor. Um, I'm happy this is happening and I do want to see other competitors get here at some point. Cause I would, uh, competition is never bad for, uh, the consumers. Um, and I think this will help if we have some competition here in the, uh, online sort of storefront for gaming, I think that'll only make it more accessible to other people. Absolutely. That's a great point because Steam, Steam has had no competition for yeah. years, you know, like years and years and years. And a lot of people were growing unhappy with Steam. Like there's a lot of shovelware on Steam. There's Steam has like kind of no kind of uh, checks to see if the game go if the games going on there are legitimate, you know, like someone can just rip Unity assets and make a game like quote unquote game and throw it onto Steam. And I think the introduction of the Epic Game Store will kind of force their hand. They're no longer the on- only player on the field. Like they have direct competition. And if they're not careful, Epic will eat their lunch. Like they definitely will. So I think this can only be a good thing for the industry as a whole because it, like you said, finally introduces some competition. All right. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, another kind of industry shaking uh, news here. Uh, Bungie has split from Activision and retained full ownership of the Destiny IP. So that is a huge deal. Um, I, you know, for as long as I've been in video games, I don't think I've ever seen a publisher developer split like this. And then the developer subsequently keeping the IP. Bungie had entered a 10 year partnership with Activision uh, in which Apt- Activision would publish Destiny. And so since Activision was paying the bills, Activision had a lot of say of what happened in Destiny, right? Like, so we don't have any concrete proof of this, but like, it's almost certain that like the microtransactions in Destiny were, you know, Activision's, like they came from Activision's brain, you know, um, the whole silver economy in Destiny, that's probably because of Activision. And Activision as a publisher, as like one of the biggest publishers in the world, they only saw dollar signs, right? And while Bungie seems like they're in it for the players, Activision seems to be only in it for the money. And that's why like when Forsaken came out, the players loved it, but the Activision reportedly was uh, told Bungie that they were disappointed in Forsaken sales and Bungie retaliated by saying that they're very pleased with the player response. So like the seeds of this like split were kind of there, but I never actually imagined it would actually happen. And apparently when it happened and when the announcement was made at Bungie, apparently people cheered and clapped and like brought out champagne. So like Bungie did not like being under Activision's foot at all. And I'm very curious to see where destiny goes from here because i finally feel like to me it feels like this is setting destiny free especially that now that bungie fully owns it uh granted you know there are some hurdles in to come mainly money right like activision was paying the bills now bungie is technically an independent studio which is kind of fascinating but yeah i kind of want to just bring up the activision bungie split and get your guys's thoughts i mean it's about time because Activism was not really a good thing for Bungie, as it kind of saw out. It's just, Bungie could seem to work better as independent, because if I'm not wrong, under Microsoft, they were largely left alone to their own devices, and they churned out some great games. 
I mean, let's just, yeah, let's just look at that for a sec. When they were with Microsoft and allegedly left alone to their own devices, they pumped out one of the the most prolific and famous video game series of all time, Halo, you know? Everybody knows what Halo is. And granted, it's it's probably kind of a shadow of its form itself now. I think that's because Bungie stopped after Halo 3, right? Like Halo 3 was the peak of that series popularity. And then it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. If, if we're fi- truly seeing a return of Bungie at like full power or whatever, like I'm very excited to see where Destiny goes, especially because I'm pretty invested in Destiny. Like Destiny 2 was my most played game of 2018 by far. And, you know, I have clan mates who play Destiny, like, all the time. So, I'm pretty invested in the Destiny, like, ecosystem. So, I'm very much looking forward to what, what is to come. Yeah, I um I played a lot. I played a fair amount of Destiny, too, when it uh, came out. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but then, you know, I, I ran into a sort of, like, the wall of, oh, they want me to buy this DLC to uh, keep playing at a higher level. Oh, everybody else is already at that level. I sort of fell out of it, um, which mm-hmm. kind of sucked because it was a really fun game. Um, I just wish there was more I could have done, like the single player. But I know Bungie uh, has always been one for their craft, and so seeing that they're away from a publisher is sort of reassuring and scary at the same time. Right. I don't. I can't remember a game that Bungie has done independently since they've always been with Halo or Destiny. And now, while I'm excited to see what comes next, I just hope it isn't going to be the thing that will sink them as a studio. Because um, Bungie does amazing work. I think in the near term, at least, you don't have to worry about that because they're going to be supporting Destiny yeah. for the foreseeable future. I can't see them making like a new IP in two years, right? Yeah, that'd be really tough. So, um, so Destiny is their, still their main thing. I'm just curious to see what the absence of Activision will do for Destiny because like Destiny has had so many problems in the past what like six seven years when uh, Bungie was with Activision like there are so many stories of trouble development like Jason Jason Schreier has reported I think in even in his uh, this is one of the chapters in his book um, about the, the trouble development of Destiny like the reason Destiny doesn't have a story is because they had to meet absurd deadlines set by Activision like they had to completely scrap the story and like rewrite it from fragments and you know like entire sections of the game had to be you know scrapped because they wouldn't be finished on time so that's why Destiny 1 in its original like vanilla state was such kind of like a hodgepodge mess that you know it was just like a series of missions barely held together by incomprehensible plot but like now that these insane deadlines have been lifted, I'm I'm very curious to see what Bungie will make. You know, like the whole reason, the whole reason, like even the annual pass kind of existed was because Activision mandated them to drop content every you know X at a certain at certain intervals, like every X like months or whatever. They had to drop content. They were obligated to drop content. And now that they no longer have that pressure, they can sort of just you know be quiet for a while, develop a major expansion or like whatever they want to do without fear of, you know, an ax coming down on their heads. And I think that's a huge relief. Like you could, and that's probably why they were cheering, you know, when, when they found out that they no longer belong to Activision. Yeah. Um, 
That's going to be... It's going to be interesting to see. Um, I don't play a lot of Destiny 2 anymore, but I will be interested in seeing what happens with that. I'm sort of wondering, you know, this is actually like, now that you've, like, we brought this up when you started, when we started talking about this, but this is probably the first time I can think of a studio going independent and taking their IP with them. The only other one I can yeah. maybe think of is, um, I can't remember who has Hitman, but io maybe? yeah io when they i think they went away from square enix um they took hitman with them but is what i believe what happened it's been a while since i read up on that but see but that's more believable than bungie taking destiny, with destiny from yeah. activision you know especially when you think it's activision right like i wonder what kind of magical lawyer bungie had to make this kind of deal because they were they were contractually obligated for a decade yeah. to make Destiny for Activision, and somehow they, boom, you know, like they separate and they get Destiny. Like that's just crazy to me. It'll it'll be interesting to see um, where if this could be what other what sort of other studios are out there. Like we know that a lot of people are under EA. We know a lot of people are under Activision. I don't know if I could see this happening again, but I know it could be good for especially some of the people under EA. Um, Wait, so what exactly are you saying? So, like, I'm interested in seeing where Bungie's going to go with this and whether or not it's repeatable. Oh, so are you saying, do you think Bungie might get picked up by someone else? There's a po- like- There's a possibility down the road that Bungie could get picked up again by somebody. But what I'm, I agree, it's possible. But I think they're going to want to stay independent for as long as they physically can. And I think that's great for them. They absolutely should. What I'm wondering is whether or not there's any other studio right now that's looking at this and going, "Can we do that?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good point. Who knows? Could Dice do it? I don't think so. Imagine if Bioware. Imagine did if Bioware. It. Imagine if Bioware decided did it. they were going to go independent. I don't know how yeah. much EA owns each of those companies, but it w- this is sort of like judging by what, what it judging by outward appearances, they seem to own them yeah, a lot. pretty much entirely. <laughs> um, yeah, which is why I was like, I wasn't sure how much of a hold Activision had over Bungie. So I don't know if this is something that could be done anywhere else. And I'm not sure whether or not the end result of this is going to be totally positive. But I wonder if there are studios out there looking at this going. Can we get out from our publisher? Right. And again, yes, we we don't know what the end result will truly be, but I'm extremely optimistic. And the only kind of hurdle now, now they have full creative freedom. That's the most important thing to me. The only kind of negative out of this is, you know, money. Mm. They, They now have to figure out different ways of getting their funds, which I don't know if they, if that means like charging for content extra content in destiny or like more microtransactions just to offset the cost then go for it because i i'm more confident knowing that more microtransactions are coming from bungie and not activision because i know the minds at i i know and trust the minds at bungie yeah. that's that's where i'm coming from i did not trust activision and i really do think that with them out of the equation that destiny is going to surpass all of our expectations but you know that that again, I'm not the only one thinking this way. There is a lot of pressure on Bungie now to deliver because 
they can no longer if they mess up again they can't really point the finger finger at activision it's all on them now so it, it it's kind of bungie's time to prove themselves mm-hmm. but yeah any final thoughts on the bungie activision situation i think it's for the best honestly I agree. Yeah. When I found out, I was like, my jaw was on the floor. I could not believe it. Like it was, I was shocked, but in a really good way. That way Bungie can work at their own pace. They can get stuff done. They don't have Activision breathing down their neck to put this, this, and that, and this microtransaction, that microtransaction. Because believe it or not, Activision is a really bad publisher. I don't know if bad, I mean, they're greedy. Let's just put it there. They're greedy. They are very greedy. Yeah. All right. So, as always, we're going to end by talking about what we've been playing. I'll go first, I suppose. I've been playing Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Probably not to the surprise of anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's Smash, you know? And not only is it Smash, it's probably the best Smash, you know? Um, granted, I still prefer the gameplay of Melee, but this comes in at... S- at a pretty close second, which I was not expecting uh, going into this game. I thought it'd be fun, but I didn't think I would enjoy watching it competitively, which I really do. Um, and you can see that reflected in both the com- uh, the competitive communities of Smash 4 and Smash Melee. Kind of like the top players of each of those games are all coalescing on Smash Ultimate. And it's it's a really good time to be a professional Smash fan. Because you like it's got all the big names from both of the big games. So would you say it's finally a game that will kill Melee? Nothing will ever kill Melee. Nothing will kill Melee. Melee, <laughs> Melee will always be around. Oh. But this will this is the game that will come the closest to killing Melee, I think. Because like most, if not all, of the Melee, big Melee players are also playing Ultimate. And they're not stopping. Like they're going to compete at very high levels. Like at Genesis and stuff like that. Like so the competitive scene for Ultimate is very healthy. And... Just beyond that, like, it's so much fun to play. I can't tell you the countless amount of times I've just booted up my Switch and just, like, you know, threw a level 9 computer on and just fought them, you know? Like, nothing else. Like, just fought them. Not playing story mode, not playing classic mode or anything. Just just playing the game. The gameplay is so good. Like, it's so good. Um... And, and and the amazing thing about this game is that there I don't think there are any bad characters. Everyone like the balance is so so good in this game. Like everyone's viable in some way. And like which is really rare especially considering this is a fighting game with, you know, 70 plus characters, you know. It, it's crazy to think that the game is so balanced that like even and obviously there are like tiers, you know, of yeah. fighters, but like everyone is viable to an extent. There are no characters. There is zero characters which I would be like, I would never play that. Even Pichu is viable. Zero. And for your information, Pichu is godlike in this game. I yeah, love playing as Pichu. I love Pichu. Yeah. He's supposed to be a <laughs> so, joke character. Yeah, he's not totally super character. viable. Yeah. But yeah, like. Shulk's probably still trash. Yeah. Please tell me Shulk's still trash. No, I mean, like, everyone. Like, the characters who were trash in Smash 4 have all gotten buffed, I think. Yeah. Um, certainly feels that way. And, like,. Some of the characters have gotten ridiculous buffs. Like Bowser's just a complete monster now. Like he's you'd think Bowser wouldn't be fast, but he's lightning fast in this game. I heard King K. Rule was a monster too. Yeah, King K. Rule. Like all of the heavy characters are really good. But yeah, just going beyond the gameplay aspects of it, in which it's like almost perfect, I would say the gameplay is pretty much 
it's pretty much perfect for all intents and purposes. It's crammed with so much stuff. Like World of Light is like a 40, 50 plus hour story mode. Uh, granted, it can get repetitive at times and I've barely even dipped my toes in it just because I've been playing. I've like only been playing matches and like some classic mode here and there and that's it. Uh, and I've already sunk like 60 plus hours into the game just doing that. So, and then there's, you know, the classic mode as well, in which like every, every character has like a uniquely themed classic mode, which I really appreciated. I've played a couple dozen of them, I think at this point, and they're all really fun. And just the sheer amount of, you know, stuff crammed into this game, like the online isn't terrible. It's not good. I, I won't say it's good, but it's not. It's the best online Smash has had yet. Hmm. It's it's definitely playable. I'll I'll leave it there. It's playable. Like I've had fun uh, hopping online with you know Fox and Crom and just wrecking people. Hmm. But yeah, um, Smash Ultimate, love it. It's it's the best Smash yet. It really lives up to the its title. It's the ultimate Smash game. But Melee is still the best. <laughs> Michael. Well, partners, I've been playing a little cowboy game called Red Dead Redemption 2, partner. It, it has me talking like that all the time now, every time I think about it. Yeah, Michael, I forgot you were gone for like six months. Yeah, I already, I'm pretty sure I already gushed about Red Dead 2. Oh, you did? Earlier that's episode. disappointing. But no, you you can go ahead and talk about it if, if that's what you <sighs> That's the only game I've been playing. All right, <laughs> that's yeah, it. go for it. Well... If you've already gushed about it, there's not much I can say other than I'm never going to touch the online mode. Ever. Uh, the online mode's kind of disappointing right now. I've tried to play it a few times with my friends, and we've just kind of gotten bored each time. And by the way, it hasn't been six months. It's been three. That It felt like six months. It felt like a long time. <laughs> it wasn't that long. Oh, it was for me. It felt like a year. I've yeah. aged. Fallout 76 launched and was a disappointment, and I didn't even get to play the disappointment. Oh, yeah. We we took that game to task on this show. Oh, like, I was actually no, I was I thinking about out. it when we were talking about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go back and watch the episode, but we, like, shredded it. Oh, no. I was so hyped. Well, I, I think Katie was on that episode, and she was a pretty big fan, but, like, yeah. I almost I was bought definitely, it. But... I was definitely extremely against it and very angry at Honestly, I should have bought Spider-Man instead of Red Dead, but, you know. You think so? You're, you're disappointed in Red Dead? I'm not that disappointed. I haven't even gotten into it yet. In fact, yeah. my PlayStation is currently on the other side of the room, and I need to hook it in so I can actually play the game again. But yeah, I, I I absolutely loved it. But It's yeah, you, enjoyable. You go ahead. Yeah. Hunting is enjoyable. Riding around on a horse is enjoyable. The only... Kind of what I see is that it can be a little buggy around cover. Yeah, like I mean, the gameplay I would say is kind of just substandard in Red Dead Two, but like yeah. everything else, like the atmosphere and the story, and like just the how the open world works is just so far above like almost every other game. It kind of makes up for it. Yeah, like there have there has been one occasion where I've been pushed off a train by my companion because he wanted to take the cover that I was in, and I got displaced. Under yeah. the train. That's funny. It it hurt. It hurt bad because I had to do that entire section over again. But other than that, the game's real beautiful. Like, I'll give it that. The snow physics are great. The uh, hunting physics are great. The fact that I could be a cowboy and lasso people to train tracks is great. 
And this is coming from someone who never actually touched the first Red Dead. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. So, yeah. Th- so this story, it pretty much, like, by the end, it, it bridges right into the beginning of Red Dead 1. So it connects, like, the two games are very, like, inextricably connected. All right. Uh, Tristan? Yeah. Um. So I don't think we've talked about Crawl before, have we? I don't think so. Okay, cool, because I've been playing a lot of it uh, with family. Um, what is it? So, Crawl is this uh, brawler indie game. Um, oh, it's made by an Australian developer. Yeah, Powerhoof. Um, I wonder so, why. <laughs> so, what a, the best way to describe this game is sort of like, it is a party game in a sense where you start off and you're really weak. You got like a sword and you can dodge. And then... The other players will play ghosts that can summon monsters, play as traps. Um, and if they kill you, they get to become human and sort of work their way through this like never ending dungeon. Um, and so you go back and forth trying to kill each other to become human. You buy upgrades to become better. You can buy new weapons, magic, uh, these little trinkets to give you special effects. The end goal is that eventually you get strong enough that you're like, oh, I can go fight the boss. And once you fight the boss and win, you're out. You've won the game. Um, Those bosses are some of them are kind of easy. Some of them are incredibly hard. Um, It gets to the point where it is pretty much a bullet hell game. You are trying to dodge six different beam and energy attacks that are coming at you. Um, it's a lot of chaotic fun. Um, and so sort of like starting off, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to start with, uh, this guy and then I'll start with my monsters will be like this baby slug. And by the end of it, I'll have like a whale, uh, flopping around biting humans, uh, so I can reclaim my humanity and get out of the dungeon. Um, it's, and you said you've been playing it with family, right? So it supports couch co-op? I think it's exclusively yeah, so, couch co-op. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you can have up to four people. It's just been me and my brother, but uh, we throw on like a bot every now and then. Um, and with one other person, it's, you know, it's sort of like you're thinking strategically around the other one. When you get up to like three or four uh, computers or players at a time, it's, um, you just can't really think anymore it's just reacting to everything that's coming at you every room is a death sentence in that game that sounds chaotic and awesome it's a lot of fun um and after you're done each match you unlock something new and you're like well we got to play again so we can try that thing out um i'd say one of the coolest features which kind of was weird for me to find out the other night was uh, you only get three chances at killing the boss in the dungeon. Um, and if you're the player that fails the third time to beat the boss, the game is over and everybody else wins. Uh, but you lose your profile, essentially. Um, your name is deleted from the game and wow. your record of how many times you've won is deleted. But that's it. Like nothing else is lost. It's just like, oh, my name is gone. And the record that I won four times is gone. I was just shocked when that happened. But crazy fun game. 
Yeah, I, this sounds like it's right up my my alley. I'm always down for a good couch co-op game because in this day and age, we could use more of them. All right, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, and thank you, Michael and Tristan, for joining. Connor had to step out early, but I'm sure he'll be back next week. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.